Welcome to the Entrepreneur Cast, your source for tactical lessons in entrepreneurship from a cast of entrepreneurs. I'm Jason Demers. And I'm Sam McRoberts. And today, we're going to talk about the seven keys to creating content that gets likes, shares, and links. Awesome. This is our bread and butter. Both Jason and I are inveterate SEOs, and getting people to link to and share and visit the content we create is our jam. So, number one. Size or maybe uh, length does matter, <laughs> sort of. There's been yes. a lot of different studies on this, but longer content tends to rank better. It tends to attract more links, get more social shares, bring in more organic traffic, get better engagement, better rankings. You know, across the board, typically longer content does better. And of course, you know, there's exceptions. I think it was Einstein who said you should make something as simple as possible, but no simpler. And content's the same. You know, if you can cover a topic thoroughly and hit all the angles and really do it justice in a shorter length, fine. But in general, you're going to find that to really do a subject justice, it's going to take length. So according to SEM Rush, they did a global state of marketing report released late last year. They found that long reads of 3,000 plus words got 3x the traffic, 4x more shares, and 3.5x more backlinks than articles of an average 900 to 1,200 word length, which is huge. And then they also found that articles with list headlines, so those that started with a number, seven things, five ways, etc., those got two times more traffic and two times more social shares than other types, followed by guides and how-to articles. Speaking of, how-to articles and questions got more inbound links than any other types of articles, with listicles coming in third. And then you have articles with longer headlines, titles, H1 tags, etc., tended to get more page views, more shares, and more backlinks. So there's a very clear correlation with title length and improved performance in these areas, up to a point where it gets truncated in search results. But this is really interesting, especially because SEO best practice for titles is generally to keep it shorter rather than longer. So what gives? Yeah, that is the question. And I wanted to talk with you about this, Sam, because you know, we, in a previous episode, we, t- we talked about one of my favorite SEO tools for, for WordPress, which is called Yoast, and how it gives you the little green smiley faces. If you remember the little green smiley face episode for when you check off a, uh, a, certain, <laughs> a certain item off of their checklist. Well, one of their items is, is your title short enough? But is it not too long, but not too short? Because if it's too long, it gets cut off or truncated in search results. But if it's too short, then you don't get your green smiley face either. So here's the thing. This, this study by SEM Rush showed that longer titles, actually titles of 14 words or more, got way more views, shares, likes, etc. So what do we do here? Do we follow Yoast or do we follow SEM Rush? What would be your advice, Sam? That's really hard to say. I'm not sure which I would I would side with. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, whichever one the data says performs better. But you know, Google is cutting off titles at I think it's 580 pixels in length right now, which isn't long. You know, maybe 50 to 55 characters. I guess one thing you could do is separate out the title elements on your page. You know, your H1 could be longer, but the actual title that shows up in the search results could be shorter. That's a possibility. But generally, I, I generally say shorter is better. 
but it depends a lot on how you how you write it. And in my opinion, a title should typically be written in a way that makes it stand out. You know, if you go and search for a keyword on Google and you look at the list of sites that are showing up and read the titles, you know, the big blue text for each each position, see what those look like and try and write something that makes you stand out completely from everybody else there because that'll draw eyeballs and increase your click-through rate. So that's my recommendation. Yeah, and that's a good recommendation. And one thing I want to add is that having a higher click-through rate actually increases your search engine rankings. Uh, And we covered this in a previous episode, so be sure to check that out. But yes, if you are getting more clicks than you should for your position in the search results, Google will actually rank you up. So yes, it does matter to have a uh, a clickbaity title, but you do want to be different. You don't want to just blend in with everybody else. Um, one thing exactly. I, I want, I want to give a shout out to a tool that might be useful for, to answer our question of, you know, who's right Yoast or SEM rush. Should my titles be shorter than the, the Google cutoff or should, should you just go crazy, go ham and have a long title? Uh, you can use a tool called ClickFlow, which is Eric Sue's tool. And what this tool does is it lets you a B test title tags for various blog posts on your site. And it, it lets you A-B test how many clicks you get in, in Google search results. And it will tell you, here this title got more clicks or a higher click-through rate, you know, a, a, which one did, A or B. <clears throat> and so... Interesting. Yep, that's Eric Sue's tool. He is a co-host with Neil Patel on the Marketing School podcast. So maybe that could be worthwhile to go see what, what does perform better. One other thing about test. <laughs> yes, agreed. And one other thing I wanted to add on on why length matters. I don't I do think length matters, but I don't necessarily think that these results and this is up for debate. Let me know what you think, Sam. I don't know that these results are specifically because of the length. In other words, I don't think Google is saying, "Okay, <clears throat> this post has 300 or 3000 words, thus we are going to give it a 1% boost." in its algorithm score. I don't (laughs) think that's it. I think what's actually happening here is that longer content naturally tends to, excuse me, to have more keywords and related keywords and in general, just cover a topic more comprehensively and more in depth. And I think that's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Like that's exactly it. So think of it this way. If somebody, Google knows that when somebody does a search, they have a lot of data on what other searches they're likely to do that are related to that. So, hey, a person who searches for A is probably also going to search for B and C. And so instead of having that person have to do three separate searches and send them to three separate pieces of content, Google really likes being able to send them to one place for one of those questions where they know the next two or three or however many questions that they're likely to search for are already answered. And so if you build a piece of content around a bunch of closely related topical themes and questions and hit it all, you know, you're, you're taking this topic from a bunch of different angles so that by the time somebody gets through this, like they know everything about that, that subject or that angle. Now they don't need to go do another search. They don't need to go to another page. And so Google is able to satisfy multiple clicks with a single result. They like that. That's why that stuff tends to rank so well. Yeah, and those kinds of pages are referred to in the SEO industry as power pages or pillar pages. And you will often see these, they tend to be very long because they do cover a topic so comprehensively. You'll often see them have a table of contents at the top because that helps just to navigate through the post. Um, and they often are are full of 
you know, peppered with multimedia. They will often have images throughout them and even embedded videos and um, infographics and so on. These are very common elements of power pages or pillar pages. And I would say Brian Dean is a good example of somebody who does these very well. So it's it's for a reason. Yep. They work. Brian does those really well. Neil also tons of images and rich content. Yep. Uh, Moz is also very good at these. And I see HubSpot doing this really well too. So these are all good examples. So number two would be supplement your content with multimedia. I just mentioned this, uh, but let me just make this into its own point. When you have text content, you want to embed images such as infographics or even just drawings that you made that maybe add some humor or, uh, or personality to the post and Shout out to Tim Urban of WaitButWhy.com, who does this to very great uh, effect. As a matter of fact, this is a little bit of an aside, but Tim Urban's illustrations have become so popular that he actually turned some of them into uh, plushies that you can buy through his <laughs> store. You can buy, you can get his some of his illustrations printed on, I think, T-shirts and mugs and various other swag because they became so popular. And it's hilarious if you go look That's at these. You're going to look at them and you're just going to see little stick figure drawings. But he, there is so much personality somehow to these, to these drawings and these stick figures that they really add a, a unique layer of humanism to his content that really brings it out and differentiates it. So I'm it is pretty sure uh, Matthew Inman, the oatmeal, has also done that with his, with his content. Ah, uh, yes. So couple of good examples there. If you're wondering what kind of images should I put in my content, just go check those places out. Um, embed videos too. That really helps. You can embed audio from like a, a podcast episode. You can do that. Um, Sam, have you got any other ideas on how you can supplement with, with multimedia? Infographics. I mean, I think we've covered that in previous pod podcasts, but yep. really, you know, essentially try and try and balance it out. A wall of text doesn't tend to perform as well. A wall of text that's broken up into chunks with an image here and a video there and a GIF there, like that's that's better. It's easier for people to process and it's much more likely to be shared. And then some of those images, you know, are going to end up showing up when people share it on social. So that can help it to spread that way. Definitely worth doing. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw a study from Mashable that found that multimedia-based content is shared up to 12 times more than text than solo text content. So, I buy that. Yep, I buy it too. It gives people a lot more reasons to share your content if there's something in it that catches their attention. So, so I would say the next thing to be aware of as you're doing this is proper spelling and grammar. And I'm a bit of a, a spelling and grammar Nazi, but Making sure that your content is readable, clean, doesn't make you look like an idiot, uh, factually correct. You know, if you're going to be writing about something, make sure that you're doing fact checking. Wikipedia is probably not a perfect source. I mean, it's okay. It's a good first pass, but make sure you double and triple check things if you're stating something as fact. This can be especially relevant depending on what you are writing and, and topic, talking about. You know, if you're giving people health and nutrition advice, Make sure you're not getting that from Goop and then parroting it somewhere. I would also say, you know, as you write, make sure you're writing in a way that's ideal for your audience, their, their age, their interests, the type of tone that they're used to, you know, write conversationally. You don't want to sound like a robot. You want to be human and unique and genuine. I would also add, you know, if you can try and intermix humor 
and stories in whatever type of content you create. And you don't have to limit this to fiction or random blog posts. I actually think stories and humor should be much more integrated into business and corporate stuff. I think it would help humanize companies a lot more. And it's the type of content that people are more likely to share. Like people don't, they don't care about whatever XYZ thing your company just added to your software. They care about how whatever it is you just added makes their life easier, makes their life better, how it makes them feel. And so creating content that has that in mind is key. Agreed. And Sam, I've heard debating or not not debating, but differing reports on this. What's what's your what's your take? Does Google know can does Google read your grammar and your spelling and and somehow score or weight your content accordingly? I think so. I mean, I'd be really surprised if they didn't put it through some sort of a system that gives it a score and says, you know, this is high quality content, mid-tier content, low quality content, and use that as some sort of a some sort of a bar. I also think they probably comb through content and compare it in terms of tone, scope, spelling, grammar, et cetera, to other things in that space and look at the data and say, all right, you know, does content in this space perform better if it's written at a higher level, you know, a more difficult reading level? I'm sure content for like professional industries, you know, astronomy, physics, like that needs to be written in a different style to rank well and perform well, perhaps, than content on elementary school art projects. It's going to depend on what you're writing. Yeah, I would agree. So, you know, watch your spelling and and grammar. I think it's important, not only for, for the search engine algorithm, but for your reader. You know, somebody who is a discerning reader might be turned off by your brand or your content if it's riddled with spelling errors or grammatical errors. And like tiny things, tiny things are probably fine. You know, nobody, nobody's perfect. No piece of content, no matter how careful you are, is going to make it through with not a single spelling and grammar error. I, every single book I've ever read from any author has at least one spelling or grammatical error inside of it. So it's fine. It's fine to have a few, but just do your, do your best. You know, run it through a tool like Grammarly or Pro Writing Aid or AutoCrit or something like that and try and help you to help you to clean it up. Even if you can't afford a professional editor, you can still take some steps to use tools to make sure your content is better than it would otherwise have been. Yep, that's good advice. It can set you apart from the rest. So number four would be to use inline formatting in your text. Now this this really more applies to uh, to text as I as I noted rather than rather than audio or video. Um, but as Sam said, as you said previously, nobody likes a wall of text. And so what you can do is use formatting to make it just more aesthetically pleasing to your reader. And it will, it will be, become more skimmable. It will become more readable. People will get farther through it, and they might actually wind up taking action after if they read enough of it. So you can use bolds, italics, bullet points, numbered lists, appropriate H1 and H2 headings, subheaders, and, and use short, concise sentences and paragraphs rather than you know, big, long paragraphs. I, I see a lot of writers these days who are, they will actually use a maximum of like two sentences per paragraph, so maybe three. And a lot of their paragraphs are literally just one sentence. I'm seeing this a lot. It bugs the ever-living shit out of me. And it, like, I know it's one of those things, it's one of those things that it works. It works well. People are more likely to read it if it's written that way. Yep. But it still it still bugs me because it's just not like well it's not what we learned in school. Yes, it's, 
Yes. But I mean, uh, like that's it, right? Like what, what is proper writing style? It is whatever your audience is willing to read. So well, if that's, if that's what they'd prefer to read, then so be it. Uh, yeah. I mean, to a marketer, it would be what gets me results. That would be my question. And so I've, I've begun writing more like this, not to the extent I see some people do it, but I am definitely modifying the way I write to be much more spaced out like that. Just don't, don't take it too far. Don't be like these people I see on Twitter who write these tweets where they like line break in the middle of sentences so that they sound kitschy or whatever. <laughs> like I see that and I just block those people instantly. I'm sorry. I just, I can't. That's taking it to a whole different level where you're not, you're, you're not just having a one sentence paragraph. You're having a half sentence paragraph. I'll, I'll finish, I'll finish this sentence in the next paragraph. <laughs> And and again, like it's effective. It forces you, if you actually want to read it, you have to read it. You can't skim because it chops it into those, those places. So again, it's one of those things that's effective, but that one, man, that one bugs me too much. I can't do it. Can't do it. I I do have to say one little hack that I've learned though. And this is, this is a hack on LinkedIn. When you make a post, if you've noticed there, it only shows one or two lines of text before you have to click the read more or the see more button, which, which expands the posts so that you can see more. Well, you can leverage that so that you make, you know, write one line or one sentence that is really clickbaity in that one line and then put a space after that, not, not a space, put a line break after that so that your next line doesn't occur until line three. And that will force people to click the see more button on your LinkedIn post to see the rest of what you wrote. And from what I've read, that click on see more actually influences LinkedIn's uh, organic algorithm. And it will then show your post to more people because it counts as an interaction with your post. So this is a good time to interject and make an apology to the world. We, marketer, <laughs> we, we, we marketers tend to fuck everything up over yes. time. Like you just you give us an opportunity or or a crack in the armor or you know a loophole or something to exploit, and we will find it and use the ever living shit out of it. I'm so sorry. It doesn't work anymore. It's so true. It doesn't work anymore. It's like a plague it's, of locusts. You know, but it's always it's it's a it's an it's a constantly moving target. We're always finding the, the the cool thing, the thing that works, and then it doesn't work anymore because everybody jumps on that bandwagon. So it's so oh, true. Yep. So uh, sorry, sorry everyone. <laughs> but use it while you can. Might as use well, it right? While you can. Yep. So moving on from from formatting and the other insanity that we do, the Flush Kincaid readability scores. So there are a variety of different readability scores. Flush Kincaid in particular is a zero to one hundred score where 100 is maximum readability. It should be readable to virtually anybody. And a zero would be almost impossible. You know, So maybe something would score a zero if it's a technical paper written for publication and peer review at a university, right? PhD level papers. And it would be 100 if it's Dr. Seuss. So you want to make sure that you are scoring wherever is ideal for your audience. I seem to remember that like the average adult in the US reads at somewhere between a 6th and an 8th grade reading level. And so you you know that that's a generally a good place to aim for your flesh Kincaid score. That would put you at something like a, a 70ish, 70 to 80. This is totally anecdotal, but I have this is burned into my brain from somewhere, but I recently saw that the ideal 
grade reading level for your content should be drum roll third grade reading level third grade so so in the flesh kincaid a score of 90 to 100 which is maximum readability is fifth grade so seriously third grade I, it's burned into my brain. I can't back it up. I I don't know where I saw it. I bet if you do, we're gonna have to. We'll find it. We're gonna have to look that up. Um, so don't take my word for it. Google it before you go. Try asking your third grader to write you some content. <laughs> you know. You know what though? Even though that's a little mind-boggling, a counterpoint would be. I think it was Richard Feynman who said, "If you want to make sure that you really know a subject, try teaching it to a five-year-old." And I'm sure I just bastardized and butchered that quote. But essentially, you know, if you can, if you truly understand something in depth, no matter how complicated it is, you should have the ability to distill that down into something that could be understood by a young, young-ish child. And I think that goes for writing content as well. You don't need to use huge words. You don't need to sound smart. You need to be clear. You need to make sure that you're your writing is effectively conveying what you want it to. And a lot of times that means using smaller words, shorter sentences, better examples and metaphors and similes, and you know, making sure your content conveys information and isn't just blathering on. Agreed. And by the way, there are, I think there are tools, I think they're free, where you can plug your content into this, like a tool, and it will tell you the Flesh Kincaid readability score of your content, right? I think I think Yoast may actually have that built in. It, yeah, it is. It's built in, and unfortunately, my content I always get the orange face, which is not as bad as a red face, <laughs> but I always get the orange. <laughs> so that's that's the one thing where I'm okay because that doesn't affect your SEO, but it does affect your readability score, which they keep separate from your SEO. At least in Yoast, that's how they do it. Yeah. So I always settle for an orange score on readability, which I guess means maybe my content is written above that third, fifth, sixth grade, whatever level. Um, but I always do get my green smiley face on the SEO score. So that's that's what I care about. <laughs> smiley faces. Yes. All right. So number six is uh, ask yourself, is the author of this content an actual expert on this subject? This is important because according to Google's quality rater guidelines, author exp- expertise is a critical factor when it comes to determining the quality and authority of a particular piece of content. So Google, years a few years ago, and I say a few, but maybe it was like five or six years ago, their quality rater guidelines leaked, and it made big news in the SEO world. And a lot of sites, including including and authors, including me, covered what the the big takeaways were of the leaked document. I, I think since that leak, Sam, I think that Google is now pretty open in sharing the quality guidelines with people because yes. they're like, well, shit, cat's out of the bag, right? Yeah, so it, it first leaked. I mean, it's been a while. At least I'd say at least ten years. But okay. then you know, periodically, every few years, another one would come out. I, honestly, I I think maybe it wasn't leaked, but maybe they pretend leaked it so that it would get picked up and distributed. And then yeah, now it's just readily available. If you just search Google Quality Raters Guidelines, it'll pull up on Google's site. You know, and yeah. they keep it updated. But that's that's a really good thing. You know, if you're creating content, you have a website. That's a really good document to familiarize yourself with. Yeah, just Google uh, Google quality rater guidelines, and there's probably like a PDF that you can find. I've read the whole thing once, but it was years ago. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yep. Okay. So the, the, one of the main takeaways, just getting back to it, is is it really matters to Google? And it probably, if it matters to Google, it matters to to users in general who this author is. Are they qualified? Are you qualified to be writing or talking about this? 
Um, so establish your expertise and that will tremendously help with not only in your content quality in Google, but how people perceive your content. So that's an important well, there, one. And there's that whole thing in SEO, right? Eat, expertise, authority, trust. You know, Google is trying a lot harder to de- determine which sites and which authors have high levels of expertise and authority and trust for certain topics. And the reason being, they want to make sure that people aren't being given false information, misleading information. They don't want some random person to be able to spin up a new site covering things like medical treatments and diagnosing conditions and you know things like that, things that could cause somebody real harm if they are incorrect. And so Google wants to make sure that you know they're ranking content written by somebody who is an expert who's qualified to cover that subject for that subject. And so you know, make sure that if you're going to have somebody write content and that content is in an area that needs a high degree of expertise, that you actually have an expert write it or at least edit it for accuracy. Yep. It's a good one. So number seven, I would say this is by far the most important. Does this content provide value? And one of the questions that I always ask myself before I create a piece of content is, should this, should this exist? Right? Has somebody else done this way better than I possibly can? Does this piece of content you know, make the world better? Is somebody going to find this and be delighted that they found it? Does it solve a problem, answer a question, you know, provide entertainment? Whatever it is, Like, should this content really exist? And can I make something that will do it justice? And please, if you're going to be creating content, try, try to do this. You know, Try to create, as Jason said in one of our previous episodes, try to make content that you're proud of. You'd be proud to share it with your mom or a friend or to be up on stage with people reading a snippet from it. Like, Create content that you can be proud of, that provides real value, and you know that you can use your unique expertise or insight or experiences to help people in a way that maybe nobody else quite could. But this is key not just for the content, but really you know, this is what all entrepreneurs are trying to do. You're trying to create something, a business, that provides real value to somebody else. And the better you do at providing value, the more likely you are to attract people who will pay you for that value. And your content is just an extension of that. Yeah, it's so important. This this really is the most important part of this episode. And the, the main mistake that I see so many business owners make, and I made this mistake too when I was first starting out, is you say, okay, cool, I've got a website, I need traffic, and I hear that you can get traffic through Google with SEO. <laughs> All right, so how do I get how do I get Google traffic? I need to publish articles on a blog. Okay, cool, I'll do that. All right. Uh, how, short, how short can they be and how, how few short can I have? Yes, yes. How, how, how can I spend the least amount of time and money doing this, this thing <laughs> that's going to get me traffic? Have you seen the movie Office Space? I have, but it was too long ago that I could not okay. talk intelligently about it. <laughs> so Office Space is hilarious. It's one of my favorite movies. But in there, you know, Jennifer uh, Aniston's character works at this restaurant. I can't remember the name. And they have a policy that every server has to be wearing a minimum number of pieces of flair. These little like pins or whatever on their vest. And, <laughs> you know, like the, the two suck up employees and the manager, like they're... You, 
covered. They're covered with all of these pieces of flair. Jennifer Aniston's character is wearing precisely the minimum number of pieces of flair. And so when I think of what you're what you're describing, the people who are how short can the content be? How little can I have? That attitude is the minimum pieces of flair attitude. And that is not that is not yeah. what you want on your side. Yeah. Yeah. With with content, not only will that not work for you very well in SEO, you're just probably going to spend money, you know, you're going to spend whatever small amount of money you spent to to have that 300, 500 word article that you put up that wasn't written by an expert and really had no love put into it. You're going to put it up and it's never going to get any traffic. Or if it does somehow get some traffic, people are going to read it and say, what the fuck is this shit? This, this, yeah. this brand sucks. <laughs> they're not going to buy anything from you. They're just going to leave and they're going to go back to Google and find something else. So what you want with content is actually the opposite of that. You want to be the guy in Sam's example that has his entire shirt filled up with pins. Make this thing the best it can possibly be, the most value you can possibly add to the world with this article. And not only will you get more traffic, yes, it'll be a lot more expensive to create that content, whether it's your time or whether it's money or multimedia that you spent, whatever. But when you yeah. do get that traffic, it will convert because people will say, this is pretty sweet, right? I think essentially your, your content, it's a form of a honeypot. Picture how much time you probably spend tinkering with and tweaking your Tinder profile. The exact right picture at the exact right angle and the exact right tongue-in-cheek comment bio. Like, you know, people spend, I, I don't even know how much time they spend on stuff like that, but you you don't just throw up the first picture in your photo reel and whatever slapdash thing comes to mind. If you do that, then I feel really bad for you. You're going to get a lot of swipe lefts. But <laughs> you want to make sure that you're you're putting up content. You, you know, the content you put up is your best foot forward. And if somebody comes across this, they're going to come away thinking, "Wow, like this is a a great site, a great brand. They really know their stuff. Now I know where to go." if I need something that has to do with this, like that's what you're trying to do with content. It is kind of like a dating game. You're trying to help let, you're trying to make Google match you with quality website visitors or YouTube or, or podcast listeners that are people that you care about people who are in your target audience, people who will actually take a conversion action that will benefit you, that will, yeah. that will return value on the time and money you spent to create content. Google is secretly a matchmaking service, you know, maybe not in the traditional sense, but like functionally, that's what they do. Somebody goes in and puts a question into Google that expresses their intent and Google automatically delivers them the thing that, that most closely matches their intent. That's, that's it. And, and SEO and SEO is kind of that intermediate. Oh, what was the movie Hitch? The, the dating consultant, the guy who like helped the dude turn around his his image and his actions and like taught him how to be a more appealing catch. That's what SEOs are. SEOs are about taking that ugly duckling website and turning it around until it's the you know the king of the the king of the town. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty sure I've seen Hitch, but that's another one where I'm like, uh, I'm just not. I have such a horrible memory for movies. My, my, I'm pretty sure like a large chunk of my mental scaffolding is movie related. So. <laughs> well, I'll let, I'll let you be the movie, uh, the movie example giver. <laughs> my pleasure. Well, guys, that covers the, uh, these seven ways or keys to creating content that gets likes, shares, and links. 
Hopefully you found these helpful. If you, if you got any new ideas uh, for stuff that you haven't tried yet, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what worked for you or what's working or what you're going to try. And if you have any questions, hit us up too. We'll, we'll answer you. You can also shoot us an email at theentrepreneurcast at gmail.com. And as always, if you'd help us out, subscribe to the podcast, you know, make sure to rate it and leave a review because that helps us out, you know, helps us to rank in, in the algorithm for iTunes and other places. So do us a favor. If you enjoy what you're hearing, help boost it out. Thanks a lot, guys. 